Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey friends, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I chat with mental sports performance coach, Brian Kane. Brian is one of the world's leading mental performance coaches and has worked with perennial professional athletes in the UFC, MLB, NFL, NBA, NFL, PGA, and several Olympians. He also regularly works with Fortune 500 executives and companies including John Paul Mitchell Systems, Whirlpool, Fuddruckers, and Burton Snowboards. And he is a sought-after keynote speaker as well as best-selling author of several books about optimizing your mental game. Additionally, Brian's client list includes three major league baseball Cy Young award winners, a Heisman Trophy winner, six UFC world champions, World Series and Super Bowl champions, Olympic medalist, Team USA baseball, bowling, and over 1,000 professional sports draft selections. Brian has an incredible resume and his work really just speaks for himself. And when we would talk about mental sports performance, he is at the top of the list one of the most sought after guys. I was really excited to have him on the show. And if you guys know me or you've been following the show, you know that uh, mental mindset, uh, anything that uh, has to do with improving your mental game is something that really is attractive to me and something that I resonate with because I've seen uh, the benefits that it can have on somebody and also the negative side effects they can have if you if your mental game is not up to par. Some of the topics we got into first were going over Brian's 10 pillars of mental perform mental performance mastery. Brian wrote a book about this a while ago, and it was cool to hear if you were to combine 10 things of the sharpest minds out there, what, do, what does that look like? What are those 10 things? After that, we talked about how to be motivated when you're just not feeling it. After that, we talked about what are the four steps for effective goal setting, how to have a process to know that you can achieve your goals. After that, we talked about a topic that's been on my mind recently, and that's not over-celebrating your wins and also not hanging your head too much on the losses. I think some of the most mentally sharp people, some of the best athletes in the world are people that can stay even keeled. When the good things happen and when the bad things happen, they can stay really just below or on the line. After that, we talked about creating a healthy relationship with failure and what that looks like day to day. Let me close down by talking about a topic that he recently put out on his podcast, and it was proving others wrong versus proving yourself right. Which one is it? Is it both? Is one better than the other? Is one more gratifying than the other? How should we look at proving others wrong or proving ourselves right? As I mentioned, if you guys are into mental sports performance coaching, learning about the mindset, kind of looking at how can I improve my game outside of the of, of the gym or off of the field, off of the court, this stuff really works. And if you buy into it, uh, it can really make you a better athlete once you step on to the floor. 
If you guys enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating, review, and refer the friend to a podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do wonders for the show, boosts our uh, popularity on the rankings, and I just really appreciate you guys taking the time to do so. All right, without further delay, let's get to this fun chat with the high energizing man himself, Mr. Brian Kane. Let's go. Brian Kane, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, man. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I've been following you for a couple of years now. I really enjoy not only your content, but just your energy. Your energy is just uh, contagious, man. I'm looking forward to hearing that energy today and also hearing some stories along the way. You're a fantastic storyteller. You got a lot of experience to go with it. So just thanks for taking the time. Uh, DJ, my pleasure, man. And when I first started, I had no content, so I had to, I had to make it up with energy, right? So whatever you whatever you lack in skill or you lack in content, you can make up with energy because it takes time to build skill, it takes time to build content, but it takes a decision to bring energy, man. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, sports performance, mental performance is something that I'm very interested in. Over the like, three years of doing this podcast, I've had several sports, per- mental sports performance coaches on the show. It's um, just a topic that I really dig and I really want to hear and learn more about. So, I'm excited to get into some of that stuff. And I think one of the things I like most about it, Brian, is that it's not just for professional athletes. This stuff is for everybody who's wanting to get somewhere um, you know, further in their life or just improve their daily life. So we kind of take an approach of this is for everybody. Where do you start, Brian? Where do you start with somebody who sits across from you and is like, you know what, Brian Kane, I'm here and I want to improve my mental game. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I start with is trying to identify why they're here. Like when they say, I want to improve my mental game, I say, well, what does that mean to you? Because I'm trying to get an understanding of where they're coming. And sometimes they're coming to me. For example, I had a, a major league baseball pitcher. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I had a major league baseball pitcher at the house this morning. And he's coming because he's doing a rehab assignment out here at their spring training complex. And he's saying, man, I just don't, I feel like, I feel like I, you know, I, I ascended to the big leagues at a fast pace. I got there and the game changed. Like I wasn't able to, for the first time in his career, essentially, he, he wasn't able to just get by on talent. And he goes, now I realize I need a process. I need to be able to slow myself down. I need to be able to prepare better. And he's heard a podcast I've done with you know Corbin Burns, who's, who was an all-star this year and, and some of the things that we did. So, so he came because he wanted something very specific around like preparation. I've got other athletes often that will come. Um, maybe they're in a great place. Like this guy was coming off of an all-pro le- year in the NFL. And he said, you know, I was an all-pro last year. I want to do it again. And what I've realized is that the highest level this season, it's more about the the mental skill and the and the consistency than necessarily the physical skill because everyone up here is physically talented. He's like, mm-hmm. there's 32 guys in the world that play center in the NFL. Guess what? They all could be a Pro Bowl player because they're the 32 best in the world. So who performs the most consistent? So a lot of times I'm trying to look and see if there's a specific reason why they're coming. One, I want to learn how to prepare better. Another one, I want to be able to be more consistent, et cetera. But why don't we start getting into it, DJ? I like to I let people know anywhere from little league to the big leagues, anywhere in between athletics or corporate, you know, that, that all the skills you need are trainable skills. Mm-hmm. Every skill is a trainable skill. And as a coach, a physical coach, if you're listening to this, you realize that you'd give your athletes drills to develop skills. And a collection of skills is called a skill set. So for the listeners, Whatever sport you're involved in, if you're involved in football, baseball, mixed martial arts, fighting, let's say you're a parent listening to this, just trying to keep yourself in great shape or get in better shape coming out of a pregnancy. The skills that you need are all going to be established by developing and doing drills, 
right? So whatever the skills are that you need for success in your industry, we call that a skill set. So a quarterback has a different skill set than an offensive lineman. A CEO has a different skill set than someone who's working in sales, right? Some of them may be similar and some of them are very different. So what I've identified in two decades of doing this work from five UFC world champions, three Cy Award winners, a Heisman Trophy winner to myself being a high school girls softball coach where we went two and 14 to then winning two national championships in college softball with Alabama and Florida State, right? So everything in between, like I don't want people to listen to this and think, well, this guy just works with a who's who. Like I'm fortunate to work with a lot of big name athletes, but 90% of the business that I do is going to be high school, college, and youth because there's so many more athletes, right? If you think about the pyramid from major league is the tip top, the, 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 the youth sports pyramid is so much bigger. There's so many more people. And frankly, I love working at the youth levels because it's about more than just performance. It's about teaching people how to be successful in life through sport. And one of my uh, mentors who was a high school football coach, he said, Brian, when we're coaching high school football, we're teaching, we're teaching leadership character and life success through football. He goes, we run a character leadership life success program that plays football. And I that always stuck with me. I thought that that's, that's part of why I got into mental performance. Yeah. So when we identify drills, skills, skill set, I've identified in, in, in my work, but also the leaning on the work of people who are mentors of mine, Dr. Ken Revisa, who did this work for 40 years, whose face I have tattooed in my heart, Harvey Dorfman, who did this work for 30 years in major league baseball. And a lot of the books you see here are all mental performance books. So I'm borrowing from the research and the experience of everybody. And what we've identified is that there's 10 skills that if you develop these 10 skills, you achieve mental toughness. Or what I call, if you develop these 10 skills, you achieve mental performance mastery. Because when I work in a lot of school settings, when I start talking about mental toughness, people who don't come at it from an athletic context kind of get turned off. Where we're all, but what we're always doing is trying to achieve mental performance mastery. We want to be masterful at what we do, meaning we own it. We can describe it as a process. We can execute it at a high level consistently. But if you want to develop these 10 skills to make this skill set, I give you the drills. So first, let's talk about what those 10 skills are, because as I'm listening to when someone comes and says, hey, I want to work in mental performance, I'm starting to listen to see which of the skills do they already have? Which skills can we work to level up? And I'll often give them an assessment, an assessment that says, here's the 10 skills. Rank yourself one to 10, no sevens. Otherwise, all you get are sevens. And we'd say, well, let's identify. And then we go to work and I give them the drills to do. So here's the 10 skills. And then we'll, then we'll, we'll take it from there. Skill one is an elite mindset. And the elite mindset is you know, how you see the world, how you experience things. Are you someone who gets frustrated or fascinated? Are you someone who says, I have to versus I want to, right? That tells a lot about your, your, your mindset. Is it growth? I can be, have, and do anything I want. Is it fixed? I am the way I am. Second skill is motivation and commitment. Motivation, what gets you going? What excites you? What do you want to accomplish? Your telescope, microscope goals, those telescope goals that are in the future, the microscope goals that are in the next 24 hours, right? Your goals and then your systems. Your systems are what you do day to day. The goals are what you want to achieve by executing that system day to day. The commitment is, is you know, following through after the motivation leaves because motivation isn't there all the time, right? And I like to say, if you, this might be the title of your podcast is, is motivation comes after movement begins. Like you have to get started. Most people think that they wait till they're motivated to get started. And that's a big mistake. Get started and the motivation will come. And if it doesn't come, at least you got started and you got some work and progress in that day. But motivation follows movement. The third skill is focus and awareness. Focus on the present moment, where my feet are right here, right now focus on the things I can control. Awareness is when I do drift, how do I bring it back? 
that's awareness. Knowing when I've wandered. Notice knowing, you know, when I'm on Facebook or I'm on social media and seven minutes, eight minutes later, I'm watching a dog go down a hill on a skateboard. I don't make it eight <laughs> minutes. I don't make it eight minutes going, what am I doing? And then I throw the phone and make it about 10 seconds. And then I'm like, get back to what you're supposed to do. That's awareness, right? right. Skill four is self-control and discipline. And big believer and teacher that you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And being in control of yourself comes down to having an awareness, having something to go to that says, okay, I am out of control. How do I get back? And sometimes that out of control DJ is, I'm trying too hard. I'm working too hard. I want it too bad, right? I'm squeezing it. I'm gripping it. It means everything. It's life and death. And when it's life and death in athletics or life, you die a lot. It can't be life and death. But on the flip side, if you don't bring enough juice, if you don't bring enough energy, if you're not locked in enough, then you're going to get beat by those people who are where they need to be. So the, the self-control and discipline, I have to be in control of myself before I can control my performance, is about identifying when I perform my best, where am I? I call it an ideal performance state. And I give like a speedometer, like with this player who is at the house today, I have a speedometer, zero to 100. I said, when you're pitching your best at the big league level, where's your energy level at? And he's like... 60 to 80. Like, okay. So 60 to 80. What happens if you get 80 to 90? We call that a yellow light. I'm getting out of control. 90 to 100 red light. I'm out of control. But on the flip side, below that, if you're 40 to 60, you're yellow light. Like you're not fired up enough. You're not ready to go enough. And then anything below 40 red light, like you're not even awake. Right. So now that he's put a number to it, 60 to 80, I'd say, tell me about how you know when you're in that 60 to 80. How do you know when you get into yellow lights or red lights outside of that 60 to 80? And I'll often in an awful moment, how, how do I know? And they always talk about these five things, right? These are like what I call the five steps to building awareness. They talk about their body language. They talk about their focus, their self-talk, what they say to themselves, game situations, and then physical feelings. And they'll, they'll mention things when I say, when you're in green lights or you're in that ideal performance state, what's it like? And then they'll mention things in yellow and red. So we start to build that awareness. And when they have the awareness that says, okay, this is what I do when I'm in green lights, takes us to skill five, process over outcome. You say, let's now create a process that allows you to try to get as consistently close to that green light area, that ideal performance state as you can. I hesitate to talk about being in the zone because the zone is like, I can flip the switch and get into the zone and everything's magical and a curse. You listen to Michael Jordan when he, when, he, when he talks, right? And gets asked about being in the zone. He's like, man, I was in the zone like 10% of the time. And this is the best ever, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, the other, the other 10% of the time, you couldn't win at the high school level. He goes, but 80% of the time, you go to battle with your preparation. You go to battle with your self-talk. You go to battle with your body language. And you go to battle with your competitiveness. And he says, you got to learn to out-compete the competition. When I heard Jordan say, out-compete the competition, I thought that was awesome. I like that. Right? But that, that comes down to that focus and awareness of, am I, not in the, am I not where I need to be? And how do I self-regulate to get where I need to be? We build that into your process over outcome. Process over outcome focus is basically skill five. And outcome focus would be, let's win the game. Process focus would be, let's win the play. Outcome focus would be, I want to go from 240 to 180, which I did. Process-based focus would be, what do I need to eat today? What do I need to work out today? How much water do I need to drink today? Flip side, what do I need to avoid today? Need to avoid being around desserts. Need to avoid being around these people who every day after work want to go have three or four beers after a game. I have to avoid those things because those take me further from where I want to be. Skill uh, six is meditation and mental imagery. Meditation being 
practice at getting myself present and slowing myself down, right? Self-regulation is largely a meditation practice. And then mental imagery from a preparation standpoint. So if I'm if I'm throwing a pitch, see the pitch before I throw it. I use the analogy from golf a lot where mental imagery of anytime you're standing behind a putt on a mini golf course, what do you do? You see the line going to where you want mm-hmm. it to go. That's mental imagery, right? So it's part of preparation. So um, a lot of times I think people think that mental imagery is like Disneyland. And if you, if you see it, you'll believe it and achieve it. And it's like, well, no, if you can see it, that's part of the equation, but there's no guarantee here. This ain't Disneyland just because I can go see myself hammer a basketball on a dunk. <laughs> I I haven't jumped in five years. I ain't coming close to touching the rim, right? So you have to you visualization is part of the work. It's not just that's not the only work, right? This right. isn't. There's elements of the secret that I really like, but I think people look at it and go, "Oh, it's that easy." It ain't that easy. You got to do it. You got to do a lot of work. Okay. Skill seven is routines and habits of excellence. And the routines and habits of excellence that you create are what provide the consistency that you need. Jim Collins in his great book, Good to Great. He said, to be consistent over time, you have to describe what you do as a process. So if there was one action item, DJ, I would share with your listeners. It's the app that I share with everyone who I work with, and it's free. Um, It's a game changer. It's called Habit Share. And in my 30-day athletes program, which I know you've gone through, I talk about this on day two, I used to use an app called Way of Life. And essentially what it is, is it's called a success checklist. And you basically bring analytics and measurement to the behaviors that you want to track. So once I started doing this, and here's like my checklist, right? I, I checked the box green for the things I do, red for the things I didn't do, gray for the things I didn't need to do. But the best part about it is there's a friends tab and I can look and see all my coaching clients. Oh, cool. I can look and see how often they're doing the things that they're supposed to do, how often they're not. So it, cr- it creates... It creates this app. What it does is it creates what I call the three keys to coaching success. Here's the three keys to coaching success. Accountability, support, and clarity. So I can look at like this this athlete who is at the house today. I said, before you leave here, let's set up your habit share. Here's the things I want you to do. I want you to listen to my mental performance daily podcast, three minutes a day. He's like, I can do that. I want you to make your bed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Admiral William McRaven in the University of Texas speech, right? And it, it now, so now he's making his bed. I said, I want you to throw a shadow bullpen where you visualize yourself pitching, no ball, but working on body language focus, working on your pre-pitch routine and go through like you're pitching to one inning a day. So those are the three things I left him with. Make your bed, um, podcast and shadow bullpen. And you know, the make your bed and podcast for seven days a week and the shadow bullpen is three days a week. So now when he fills it out, I get a notification and then when we get on our next coaching call, the way I start all my individual coaching calls is I go, let's take a look and see how you did between sure. last session and now. Because the one thing we know as coaches, DJ, whether it's mental performance, physical performance, chiropractor, physical therapist, strength coach, whatever, our athletes are going to get better with what they do. They're, they're going to make the biggest gains by helping control what they do when they're not with us, right? It's the biggest difference between being a strength coach and thinking your job is to write programs. Your right. job is to get your people to execute the damn program, right? Right. So... I got to be able to give my athletes tools and systems and, and empower them to be able to execute without them needing me. Right. right? I mean, the, the, exactly. The greatest form compliment I can get is when an athlete says, you trained me so well, I no longer need you. Thank you, coach. Totally. 100%. That's my favorite compliment. And then I'm like, great. And then they call you a couple of day, months later, or a week later, because they got another question and you're their go-to guy because you have mm-hmm. a relationship with them. Right? So that's, that's the power of routines and habits. Skill eight is time management and organization. And again, another thing I do with every client I work with is I have them share their calendar with me in Google Calendar. So when we get on a call, we go through habit share. 
Then we look at their Google Calendar. I said, tell me all the things that you want to do. Let's see where you have it scheduled. Because don't tell me how good you want to be. Show me when you're going to put in the work that determines how good you become. That's why it's important for me to see their calendar. Because when they go, oh, I'm overworked. I can't do this. I go, you, you got a seven-hour block here on Saturday. What are you doing? You can do all the work you need to do in that block. You can do all your meal prep in that block. You know, So you're, what you're doing is you're eliminating excuses because one, you, you're helping them determine where their time is going because time is an infinite. right? We all have 168 hours in a week. We ain't getting more. And we are able to help them create their habits. And when we identify those two things, here's your habits. Here's what you want to do. Here's when you schedule it. Now it's like dumping gas on the fire. Okay. So, so that's, that's pillar eight, um, time management and organization. And then pillar nine or skill nine, I call them in my, co- in my coach's certification in my athletes program, I call them the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. I could easily call them the 10 skills of mental toughness or the 10 skills of mental performance mastery. Number nine is leadership. And I go into developing the six C's of leadership to, to enhance and establish trust with your clients. And then we go into pillar 10, which is establishing the right culture. Culture being you know, the beliefs that you hold that drive the behaviors for yourself, for those who you're working with. So if I wanted to summarize all of this and maybe give you my number one go-to strategy or framework, it would, it. Be what I, it'd be what I call the four-step goal formula. And the, and the four-step goal formula is step one, set your intention. Know what you want. Step two, schedule it. Put it on Google Calendar. Step three, measure it. Take a look at your habit share and see how consistently you do the things you said you were going to do. Step four, reflect and refocus. In the reflect and refocus process that I use is every Sunday, I'll sit down and I write out well, better how. What did I do well? As I look at my habit share and my calendar and my behavior for the week, what do I want to do better next week? How am I going to do it? And that how is my game plan. And I do that same thing. So for example, I have a pitcher who pitches um, with the Milwaukee Brewers, Corbin Burns. And we did a great podcast together, which, which maybe we can link to in the show notes. It's, it's maybe the best podcast I've ever done with an active athlete in terms of them talking about what they do from a mental game standpoint. And one of the things that we do is the day he pitched yesterday against the Cardinals. So, so today he fills out a feedback sheet, sends me a picture of it on a phone. That's a trigger for me to text him to say, here's when I can get together. We get together on a phone call and we literally go through well, better how, look at the habit share, look at the calendar for next week. And that's, that's the routine that we do. We're just, he's, he's just really consistent with it. And he's found something that works for him, which you know took him from 2019. He got sent to the minor leagues in 2021. He was an all-star. Wow. Very cool, man. I think, gosh, so much to unpack here, Brian. This is a lot of my whole notebook is already full on this page here, but I want to go, I want to go back. Let's just try to unpack a couple of these a little bit more in my industry, in the gym industry. Something that's a common phrase or something that gets talked about a lot is motivation and commitment. I just don't, I'm just not motivated to work out, Brian. I, I don't have the commitment. I don't have the motivation to do that. Talk to me a little about what's the conversation look like if somebody's not motivated to do something. All right. So you're not motivated to do it. When did motivation become a factor? Act different than how you feel. Let's get started and give me five minutes. And if after five minutes you don't feel motivated, we'll shut the workout down and look at maybe reasons why you're not motivated. Maybe you went out drinking last night. Maybe you're maybe you've had a stressful week. Maybe you're not eating the right way. But let's get started. Make the commitment to get started because it's the start that stops most people. Right. And I would say with motivation, once they understand motivation comes after movement begins, that would I use it's called a callback, right? Great cultures have a unique language. And that language is used in what I call a callback format. So if I were to say to you, DJ, we've been working together. Hey, when we come in the gym, we know that movement comes when? You'd say, or I'd say motivation comes when? And as the athlete would say, after movement begins. Right. So let's get started. 
right? I'd say, hey, we know it's a, it's a start that what? Stops most people. Right. Let's get started. I think, too, another, another major thing that is uh, apparent here as we keep talking about this stuff is just the awareness thing. And I'm glad that it's a part of, um, let's see, it was step three. Yeah, focus and awareness. I think for this stuff to work and for you to want to buy in, these people, these athletes are coming to you. There needs to be a level of awareness. You can't just float through the game, get through nine innings, and then you know kind of float through, through your life. Tell me a little bit about why and how is awareness such a pivotal role in getting the ball even started, even rolling to work with you? Yeah. And, and maybe I can summarize it in one statement. Awareness is the first step to growth. You cannot change that which you're unaware of. Right. You, and, and it's really hard to change things that you don't measure. So when you measure, it increases awareness. It's why measurement is so important. It's why data is so important. It gives you an accurate reflection of what's happening and where the awareness is. But we also know that everything that's important can't be measured. You know, so a person's perspective, their experience, how they were feeling that, how they were experiencing it when they were going through it, that's, that, that can be hard to measure. A lot of things in the mental game are hard to measure. So they go into uh, what, what, the anecdotal, like, let's have the conversation and, and, and flush this thing out. And let me listen to what you're saying. Well, look at what you said. Like when I did my master's thesis, I did interviews and then I go through these interviews and I'm looking at what all these coaches say. And these 10 national championship coaches all said that... Um, culture defeats talent. Mm. Okay. Well, if 10 coaches that win a national championship, all say something along those lines of about how culture defeats strategy or culture defeats talent or team over talent, they're saying the same thing, right? So let's pay attention to that. And that's, you know, that the anecdotal research, but I think when we're talking about awareness is it's really hard to change that, which you don't know. And I'll share an example, a story. You asked for stories earlier. I did. Of, uh, <laughs> I'm a, so one of, my, one of the first books I ever read, not one of the first book I ever read was called The Mental Game of Baseball by Harvey Dorfman. I'm playing summer baseball my sophomore year of college. My roommate is this kid, Mike Levy from Dartmouth College, and he's got the book with us. And I'm like, oh, Mental Game of Baseball. What is that? Who, who's reading a book as a college student? And I, I, was such an, <laughs> I was such an idiot. And I opened, I opened up the book and I can't put it down. So I end up buying, buying a copy for myself and this is 1998. Fast forward now, I'm a high school athletic director in like 2007. I'm in Omaha at the College World Series because I'd worked with Cal State Fullerton, UC Irvine, one of my AD mentors, his, his best man in his meeting was the head coach at Clemson. So those three teams are there. So like, we're going, we come out from mm-hmm. Vermont, we go. And I'm sitting up in the booth next to the ESPN booth. You know, I'd gotten a press pass to go to the College World Series, write some articles about these teams on mental performance. And a dude comes in from XM Radio. He's getting ready to set up for the Florida State Miami game. And we start talking. He goes, Man, I should have you on our MLB network show. He goes, It'd be great to talk about the mental game. I'm like, I'm in. A couple of weeks later, I'm on. I'm in the green room getting ready to go, ready to go on on the air. And I'm like, oh, Who else have you guys had on here? And the, the woman's like, Oh, we had Harvey Dorfman, Ken Revisa. And I go, Oh, you had Harvey Dorfman. I lost Harvey's phone number. I'd never talked to him. I lost Harvey's number. I'd love to get it so I can reach out to him and reconnect. You know, he's from, he's from Vermont. I'm here in Vermont. She goes, Oh, hang on a second. I'll get it for you. So she gives me his phone number. I'd never <laughs> met the guy. I just read his book, but I, and I'm like starstruck and intimidated by calling this guy. Right. And so, so about a month later, I'm at an AD event in Vermont and one of the athletic directors in Vermont comes up to me and goes, Hey, you're doing the mental game. Do you ever come across Harvey Dorfman? I'm like, well, matter of fact, no, but I have his number. And he's like, oh, give it to me. He was my high school basketball coach. Oh, funny. So he, he calls Harvey. Two days later, we're flying on a plane down to Brevard County, North Carolina to go meet with this guy at his house. And I'm like, 
starstruck, right? This guy's the dude, first book I ever read. Like he's working with a who's who in baseball. And we drove around with him for the whole day and I got to just pepper him with questions. And I asked him the million dollar question, DJ. And the million dollar question is this, what do you know now you wish you knew then, right? So in this context, it was Harvey, what do you know now at mid seventies, 30 years, major league baseball sports psych experience. You wish you knew when you were just getting started at, at the time, maybe 30, 32. And he says, well, it's really easy. You want people to grow? Follows a three-step process. And this is where awareness kicks in. Because you want people to grow? Follows a three-step process. Awareness, strategy, action. He goes, as the mental performance coach, we got to help our athletes build awareness, showing them where they're at, finding out where they want to go, letting them understand what it looks like to get there, giving them strategies that they can use to close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. And then they got to put it into action. And the majority of our job after we build awareness and give them strategies is to create accountability to make sure they're putting it into action because it'll work if they work it. Boom. That was boom. I mean, that is coaching, man. Build awareness, give strategy, and provide support and accountability to put people to, to get people to put it into action, right? You can like there's a lot of coaches that can give strategy. But the hurdle from strategy into action is massive, right? It's like DJ, if there's three frogs sitting on a log. And one decides to jump. How many frogs are left? <laughs> two are left. That's what most people would think. Two are left. But just because the frog decided to jump doesn't mean it jumped. There's three frogs left on the wall. <laughs> right? So there's a, huge, there's a huge hurdle, man, between deciding and taking action. So you can help me build awareness. You can give me the strategies. But if I'm not putting it into action, we need more strategy. Right? We need more accountability. The player needs more more ownership, whatever it is. So, so there's a big difference between writing programs and getting people to implement programs and do them. And to me, that's the missing link in athletics. That's the missing link in training. And that missing link comes down to mental performance, right? If you give them the training program, but don't give them the six inches between the ears, then they're going to have a hard time executing what you want for the six feet below. So they have to go together. And the best coaches I've been around, whether it's a sports team coach, a Nick Saban, or a, a strength coach, they're doing mental performance without maybe knowing they're doing mental performance. Totally. I'm going to ask you the million dollar question, Brian. So, so what do you know now that you wish you would have knew when you were in your younger career? I would say that we have a limited amount of time here. And if you want to make an impact, you need to have a coach because what a coach is going to do is speed up your learning curve. And if you look at every Olympic athlete that just walked into Tokyo for the games, DJ, the one thing they all had that was the same is they all had a coach. Mm -hmm. And I look at what I'm able to do in the field of mental performance. And I look at a lot of my colleagues maybe that struggle with, with breaking through. And a lot of times that struggle with breakthrough, I think, comes because they never saw someone break through. They never saw what it looked like for someone to do the work, right? It'd be like they went to do a degree in strength and conditioning and they never went in the weight room. That happens in mental performance. They get a sports psychology textbook degree. I had the privilege of watching Ken Revisa work for two years. And I was a grad student at Cal State Fullerton of his in 2001 to three. I would literally sit in his office and, and take notes as he was, I was his note taker. I would take notes as he was working with athletes. He would get in a car, drive three hours to UCLA. I would drive up there with him and ask him questions. This is before cell phones, right? So we'd be talking for three hours. We'd get there. I'd watch him work with a team, taking down notes, making them with ideas. I'd ask him for three hours on the ride back. I mean, so I had the ultimate, ultimate apprenticeship in mental performance. And that's what I'm trying to, to when he passed away in 2018, I said, there's a big gap now in the field of mental performance. And it's my responsibility 
because he invested in me. It's my responsibility to be able to invest in other coaches. And that's where the idea of the certification came from was how can I take, how can I take what was gifted to me through Ken Revisa and the mental performance experience that I shared from learning from him? And how can I put that in a, in a system in a way that can train other coaches to help their athletes get results and coach mental performance? Because if I'm just working with athletes, like if I work with an athlete of a team, let's say I work with one of your athletes, DJ, that you're coaching. It's a one-to-one relationship. I'm helping one person get better. But if I work with you to become a better coach, every athlete who you touch the rest of your career is going to improve and, and you're going to become more skillful as a coach, right? So my mission, and when you understand what your mission is, this is pillar 10, culture or uh, right culture. When you understand your mission, my mission is to educate, empower, energize other people to be their best. And that's why I was so fired up to join you on the podcast today because we get the opportunity to do that. And if I get the chance to educate, empower, energize other people to be their best, to put a small dent in the world of normalizing mental performance training, I feel like I've lived a successful day. And I think one of the questions we all have to ask ourselves is, how do you define success for yourself? And if you don't know how you define success for yourself and you're in the competitive world of of athletics, it's going to be defined by the scoreboard for you. And that's a bad definition of success. It's part of it, but it can't be the total thing. So my definition of success is simply, did I live in alignment with my mission today? Did I get the chance to educate, empower, energize other people today? And that starts with me, sweat before screens, wake up, take care of the private before I start to invest in the public, wake up and take care of me. And when I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now, I weigh 180. I was literally a quarter of a human being bigger than me. I couldn't run two miles. I didn't work out all the time. I ate like shit. And I was, I was giving the world my B game. And when you give the world your B game, like you, you don't get to the highest level. And then once I started to invest in myself, um, the whole game changed, man, because you can't give away that which you don't have. And I think as coaches, it's so easy to slide in the trap of being selfless and giving to everyone else that you let yourself go. And then you're giving your best, you're giving your B game to your clients. Don't do that. Make sure you take care of you first, man. Something that I have noticed over the years and listening to podcasts, working with athletes is the best athletes, the most mentally tough athletes, Brian, I think they have a really good, healthy relationship with failure. And to me, it's this idea or this kind of spectrum of when the wins come, they don't celebrate too much. And when the bad things come, they don't get down too much as well. They kind of can stay. And I think it aligns really well with uh, self-control and discipline and skill number four that you, that you talked about. Tell me a little bit about how can athletes do a better job at not getting too down when the bad things happen and not getting too up, and then also how to have a healthy relationship with failure. So it doesn't not only ruin their day, but ruin their week or even their year. Yeah, let me give you three strategies they can take and use. One, I picked up from Conor McGregor and his coach, John Cavanaugh. His book is called Win or Learn. Sometimes you win, you better always learn, right? And when you take that learner's mentality, that's going to help you get to where you want to be because the biggest winners I've ever been around, the George St. Pierre's, the Rich Franklin's, right? These guys are learners first. The second thing is failure is positive feedback. Every time there's an opportunity for a performance, you have to learn from it. And I would say success is also positive feedback, right? Like Kobe Bryant did a great podcast with Lewis Howes in the School of Greatness. And one of the questions uh, he was asked by Lewis Howes was, what does losing feel like? And Kobe mm-hmm. says, oh, it's exciting. Yeah. It's, like, it's exciting? Because yeah, it's exciting because there's opportunities for growth there. And then Lewis asked him, he says, well, do you learn more from losing than winning? And he goes, no, 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 you can learn from both, but you have to look at it. And then here he gives a process that, uh, that can often get missed. He says, you have to look at it. He goes, there's, there's answers there, whether you play well or you don't. He goes, but you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what, what did I do well? Mm-hmm. What do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? That's where well, better how comes from is after Corbin Burns or a guy pitches today, what'd you do well? 
What do you want to do better? How are you going to do it? After we do this podcast, what did we do well? What do we want to do better? How are we going to do it for the next time? So when you hit that pause button and you reflect, that makes a huge difference. And I call it the three-step the three-step success cycle. Prepare, perform, reflect. Prepare, perform, reflect. Prepare, perform, reflect. And what most people do is they invest a lot of their time into preparation, performance, and they skip right through the, the, the reflection. But why do they do that? Is it because that's the most challenging part? That's the part that really takes like some nitty-gritty um, self-reflection? I don't know. Why, why, why does that get forgotten? I think it gets forgotten because they've never, they've never learned the importance of it because they've never done it. They know they have to prepare or they'll get exposed and get embarrassed. They have to perform because that's what they want to do. Sure. But the reflection piece is where the learning happens. And if you fail to reflect, you're going to slow down your growth and slow down your learning process. And I think people don't know how to reflect. I mean, for 20 years, right? For 20 years, Ken Revisa would, would say to us, some of his students, I mean, I say 20 years because he told me this in, in like 2001. And he would say, hey, you guys got to keep a journal, keep a journal. And he probably said it and I didn't hear it. Because mm-hmm. he, was, he was the guy who knew he was the goat, right? So I'm sure he said it and I didn't hear it. But I'd start to take a judge. I'd sit down with a journal and go, what do I write? Like, is this diary? Like, what am I reflecting on? What I ate today? What am I reflecting <laughs> on? Like, what did I do? You know? Right. So now, now I journal every morning. And journaling every morning, I start with start, stop, continue. Mm-hmm. So I do start, stop, continue every morning. And I do well, better how on Sunday. Well, better how is a more in-depth reflection. Start, stop, and continue is literally, as I look back in the rearview mirror of the last 24 hours, what do I have to start doing? What do I have to stop doing? And what do I want to continue doing? So for this past week, I was in um, Wenatchee, Washington at Eastmont High School. And then um, where did we go from there? Went down to Cal State Fullerton and worked with the men's golf program down there. And as I, as I did a start, stop, continue, it was start getting to bed in the, start getting to bed before 10 a.m. Stop being on your phone in bed and eating within two hours of bed and continue knowing everyone's name in the room of who you're working with. And that, that's really consistent when I'm traveling. Like, and, and as I bring awareness to what I need to start and stop consistently, then I just got to get myself to do it. right? But if I never ask the question, that's how, for me, that's how I get to 200 pounds real quick because I'm eating, eating crappy or I'm having too many beers late at night with the coaches and then I'm missing my workout in the morning and then I'm in a bad cycle. Versus for me, the good cycle right now, like my number one mindset going on this road trip this week, I'll go to TCU Wednesday, third. Right now, my routine is I coach basically 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday, Tuesday on Zoom. Wednesday, I jump on a plane. I'll go to Fort Worth to work with TCU baseball Wednesday, Thursday, shack up in a hotel, work Wednesday, Friday morning on Zoom, fly to Connecticut Friday night, work at Fairfield University Saturday, Sunday, come home, rinse and repeat for the next 11 weeks. And for me, right now, my, my number one word, my one word is routine. Because I have to stay in routine because if I don't stay in routine, if I get out of it to go be social, if I get out of it because I miss a workout, if I get out of it because I, I don't bring food with me or Instacart food to the hotel or where I'm staying and I start eating other things, next thing you know, uh, my energy is not going to be where it needs to be. And if, and if my energy is not where it is, I'm bringing my B game. And if I'm bringing my B game, that ain't, that's not what I want to do. So, so then I get pissed at myself and I start living alignment with who I want to be, bringing my best version of myself to the world. And now I'm not executing the mission and it's a bad cycle. So I just got to stay in routine. So another strategy that we can use, and we'll come back, I'll give you the third strategy on failure is positive feedback. I haven't I forgot about that. But another strategy is one word focus. And the one word focus or a one word brand is what's one word that you're going to bring for X time period, 90 days, this week, this year. And for me, it breaks up into seasons. Right? So for me, my fall season is like August 15th until November 1st. I'm on the road probably 80 of those 90 days. Wow. And my one word right now for that is routine. 
when I come back November until like until like maybe middle of December, my one word will most likely be family. Like I want to get as much family time as I can because I'm missing it now. And then when we go from December 15th until like January 15th, my one word might be something like preparation. Just prepare for what's coming up. Because once January 15th hits again, back out in the road until like May. So the one word I think is really good. And DJ, I want you to think about what, when you want, what your one word would be as we charge forward here in 2021. In the third piece around, around failure, right? We said win or learn, failure is positive feedback. Here's the third piece around failure is choosing choosing to stay neutral. Now, my friend Trevor Moad, who wrote the book, It Takes What It Takes, and, and yeah. his, his quarterback, he works with Russell Wilson. They talk about this a lot. Yep. But if you think about taking a coin, here's how I like to teach you. If you take this coin, here's heads, here's tails. But if I balance this coin on the side like this, right? What's, what is, and I can do it here if I wasn't moving my desk so much. What is that called when it's on the side? Well, what that's called when it's on the side is called neutral. Mm-hmm. So with failure, like I can get excited. It's hard to do. I can get pissed. It's easy to do. I can stay neutral. That's the mindset I want to take. And neutral is simply asking myself, like locating the black box. I remember my first meeting with George St. Pierre, we were at an eggs up grill in Montreal. And as we were sitting at a table, he had just lost his UFC title to a guy named Matt Sarah about six weeks before. And he got knocked out in the first round as an 11 to one favorite. And as we were there talking, it was our first time meeting him. And I had a brick like this underneath the desk. And as we were talking, I was writing things on the brick. And, you know, so I let my fans down and I didn't prepare as well as I should have. And I left half of my purse inside of the octagon. And I handed him the brick. I said, George, hold this brick like this for five seconds over the table. I said, now do it for five minutes. He's like, seriously, man, you're not going to hold this brick for five minutes, man? Holds it out there for five minutes, right? And I gave about halfway through. I said, could you do it for five minutes? He goes, yeah. I said, how about five weeks? He's like, no, my arm would fall off. I go, well, that's what you've been doing since you lost your fight to Matt Sarah. You've been carrying this mental brick for five weeks. Wow. And you're beating yourself up. Now, the mental brick, like you can't see it, but it, imagine if you had to carry a brick for five weeks, what would that do to you? The, the damage it would do to you, right? That's what's happening mentally. You got to let the brick go. He's like, well, how do I do it? I said, let's locate the black box. When the plane crashes, the scientists and researchers go looking for the black box to find out why. Mm-hmm. It gives them the information to allow them to learn from it. I said, bro, your plane crashed. You were 11 one favorite, got knocked out in the first round against a guy who everyone said you should have beat. But guess what? He's also one of the best in the world because he's in the UFC. So what do we learn from it? And we start dissecting it. We start dissecting it. What'd you learn? Why did you do this? Why did you choose to do that? Could you have done this? Can you control this? Could you control that? Okay. You were nervous in the locker room before a fight. What did you do? Did you have any strategies to go to? Awareness, strategy, action. And we got done with that meeting. And I said, take this brick and throw it inside of your gym bag. Every time you grab that gym bag out of your car to walk in to train, you're going to feel that extra brick in there. Let it be a reminder of you that you are carrying this mental brick. And before you go to your next fight, when you drive across the bridge to go to the airport in Montreal, throw the, throw the brick out the window of your car. Look over first, make sure no one's below you. Throw the brick into the river, into the lake, mm. and wow. let yourself be free from that brick. Mm. And that's a physical experience to remind him of the mental, that that failure, that loss is positive feedback. And he said this on HBO with Joe Buck. He said this on Joe Rogan podcast. He said this on, on um, I think it was Lewis Howe's podcast where he said the best thing that ever happened to me was losing to Matt Sarah. Hmm. And how true is it to Brian that uh, Jim Afro taught me this, that basically the, the most mentally tough people, when you think of they're the, they're the best at letting go of the, or moving on to the next play. So if something bad happens, they're the best at forgetting it. How, how fast can you let that go? You think about a golf tournament, right? There's so many shots in a golf tournament. 
being able to let that shot go and move on to the next thing. The best, most mentally sharp people can move on quickly. Yeah. I mean, you could almost essentially say mental toughness is your ability to move on in the face of failure or success. Because it's like we talk a lot about moving on in the face of failure. It's also moving on in the face of success, right? So yeah. when you, when you, and George's problem was he won the title. Yeah. And then he got kind of complacent. Like I, mm-hmm. I did what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a UFC champion. So let's raise the bar to be the best in the world, you know, the best there's ever been. And, and I remember seeing this too. So in other fights, I can't remember who exactly who it was. Can't remember. But in the hotel room or in the, in the locker room after the fight. So we come back in five round fight. He wins by decision, comes back in the locker room. You know, everyone's there celebrating. He takes the belt, puts the belt over there on the bench and grabs one of his coaches and gets down on the mat and starts rolling around. He's like, man, in the first round, I had this Kimura arm lock and I felt like I could have finished the fight. Then he got away. Wow. I want to try this real quick. Mm. So here he is covered. He's got his blood on him. He's got the other guy's blood on him. Probably got broken bones in his hands from punching. And he's just like, I want to learn this. He's like, I can celebrate. He goes, I can celebrate later. He goes, celebrate to me is getting better. This is what's most important. Wow, man. What right? a cool takeaway. That's awesome. Yeah, it was dude. very cool. So you can learn in both success and failure. But yeah, I think your ability to move on and move on to the next is really, really important. And easier said than done for sure. It takes practice. Um, as we close down, I know we're limited on time, Brandon. One thing I wanted to get to because it, w- it made an impact on me. I really enjoyed it, um, hearing it on YouTube. And I shared it with my family and friends was the idea of proving yourself right versus proving others wrong. Can you enlighten my listeners who haven't got a chance to listen to that yet? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a great one, man. And it's come and it's um, so I remember I'm working one of my friends, Sean Haggerty, he's a former Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL instructor. He was one of the instructors on the show, The Selection on the History Channel. Great show, really, really good mental performance training strategies. And they're very entertaining. I think people would like it. It's like a reality show about 30 people trying to go through a selection like Hell Week. Process. Oh, cool. Oh, very yeah, cool. It's, it's unbelievable. He's one of the instructors. And we developed a relationship. And I remember him saying like where his, he was talking to, I think it was the Yale lacrosse team. We were together and, and he was, I brought him in. He was talking to those guys before a game. He was talking about proving people wrong. He's like my whole life, I was undersized. I mean, he's, he's, I don't know, five, eight, one sixty. I mean, he's not a very big guy. It's not like you're superimposing all sleeved up seal that we have this picture of, right? Like a, like a jacked guy, like a Goggins, right? Or massive, like Marcus Luttrell, like he's not right. that way. And He's like, I was a nose guard in football in high school at 140 pounds. I was just going to prove everybody wrong that I could do it. You know, he's like, I came from an area that you wouldn't think people would come from who would be successful and I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And now he's a CEO and the founder of, or a protector brewery, San Diego's first and only organic brewery and just doing an amazing job. Super successful. Prove yourself wrong. My friend, Jonah Bayless, who was the best man at my wedding. We went to, to high school together, grew up together. Um, my senior year, he's a sophomore in high school. And put it in perspective, he's the number five pitcher on our high school team. I was the number one. Okay. Mm. So he, he ends up going to Trinity college division three in Hartford, Connecticut, because no one, no one offers him a scholarship. No one's interested in having on their team and his brother's playing there. So he goes there and he starts working and he hits a growth spurt. He's throwing 97 miles an hour as a sophomore. He's the number five pitcher on a high school team of 90 kids in, the, in my class as a sophomore in high school. He's throwing 97 as a division three college pitcher as a sophomore. So he's a seventh round pick Okay, after his junior year. Boom, goes to the big leagues, plays in the big leagues with the Royals, with the Pirates, the Blue Jays, ends up playing over in Japan for a while. And Jonah was here and we, and we had uh, I, live in, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. And a lot of times when teams are out here, like if I have a relationship with the coach, they'll bring the team from the airport to the house. The bus pulls up. We have dinner for him, the whole thing. And sometimes I have a client or somebody who happens to be here and it's a really cool experience. So he happened to be here 
when um, I think it was the Cal State Fullerton softball team came to the house. They were playing at ASU. And I was like, Jonah, tell them about your story, man. It's more remarkable. Division three to the big leagues. And he goes, you know, my whole, my whole life, it was about one thing, prove myself right. And I'm like, here's two guys that are really successful. Major League Baseball pitcher, Navy SEAL. One is motivated by prove yourself wrong, prove everybody wrong. The other is motivated by prove yourself right. And what I've realized, and I learned this from my friend, Sean Casey, who was a 300 Major League Baseball hitter for 10 years. He's an analyst for the MLB Network. We were talking about it. And he goes, Kenner, you know what both of those do? He goes, when you play 162 games in a Major League Baseball season, you have to play mental games with yourself. Yeah. He goes, and it's not one or the other. It's both. Like you got to use what you need on that day to get yourself where you need to be in that ideal, ideal performance state to compete one pitch at a time. He goes, when you're playing football, you got to get up once a week on Sunday. If you're an MMA fighter, you got twice a year. He goes, in baseball, you play 162 games in 180 days. You need everything you can get to get yourself ready to play that day. He goes, so there were games where I was trying to prove people wrong. There were days where I'm trying to prove myself right. He said, what both of those strategies do is they create energy. And he goes, and energy is what we're all looking for. We're all in the energy game. So for a time, I taught teach yourself, prove people wrong. For a time, I taught prove yourself right. Now I teach, find the games you need to play with yourself in that moment on that day to get yourself where you need to be so your energy is right to compete at the highest level that you can on that day, on that pitch, in that moment. So do you think, Brian, doing one of them, just one of them is bad? Like if, I, if I'm just out to prove uh, what I could imagine is maybe somebody's out just to prove other people wrong. And they're, they're just, everything they're doing is for other people. Almost follow me here. Is there a point where that's going to be, you're going to go too far and that's why we need to have both or is it okay to ha- are you saying that it can be one or the other? It's a really good question. Um, it's a really good question. And I, and I think it, it's a very context related question, okay. right? Like if I'm working with if I'm working with a high school athlete and their whole mentality is on like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Like, okay, is that a strategy that you're using to get you ready where you need to be to compete in this sport? Or is that how you're living your life? You know, like, are you, is this, is this bigger than just what you're trying to do for eight hours a day as a baseball player? Like, is your whole life about like, is there, is there a bitterness? Is there a hardness? It's like, I got to prove all these people wrong. Cause, cause buddy, these guys aren't thinking about you anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like they're thinking about their own stuff. So, so, you know, educating them on that, showing them the other option, but then letting them, letting them choose what they need on that moment and what's going to work for them. Right. Like, like if you listen to David Goggins, that guy's got a lot of really good strategies that he uses to get himself to push through, to dig deep, to do what he needs to do. And, and I, I have been inspired by him to a point where I went and ran a 100 mile ultra endurance race. And I will tell you that the strategies that I used in that 100 mile ultra endurance race, I tried to use those in golf and they didn't work at all. Right. That's why golf is such a good challenge. It's easier for me to go run a hundred miles right now than it is to break a hundred on the golf course. It doesn't take nearly as long, but <laughs> yeah. it's because it, it's such a different mindset, right? right? Like your whole your whole life, grit your teeth, do more, don't quit, head down, go harder, dig deep. That's gonna help you finish a hundred. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna help you score well in golf. In golf, sure. it's much more visualize, calm and control, stoic, target. Mm-hmm. What's the shot I'm trying to hit? It's way more. It's a, I shouldn't say it's a way more mental. It's a different mental game than the Ironman or MMA or, um, or ultra endurance. So you have to find out, I think, for where the athlete is at and what context sure. they're in and teach them strategies that they can use. Ultimately, hopefully they land on a place where they can use both at the right time to get them where they need to be. And if they're a professional athlete, they need more at, they need more strategies because as a pro athlete, your meal ticket is, is your performance and your results. Sure. So let's That's do what, what we that- need to do. 
And that's what I was going to say was what, what, what would you think is more gratifying proving other people's wrong, other people wrong or proving yourself right. And I think it's going to be very contextual on who you're talking about and which, which one's like, which one's sweeter, because I've, I've never been in an opportunity where I'm proving other people wrong, but I've definitely been in an opportunity where I'm proving myself right. And I know that's, that's very gratifying as well. So my guess would be, you would say it's very contextual dependent on who you're talking to on which is more gratifying. Yeah. I would say it's up to the individual, you know, I mean, I've used, I've used both of them. I mean, I've sure. used both of them for sure. You know, I remember when I started doing mental performance coaching, a lot of my friends would call them like, what, what are you doing, man? No one's going to want to be into this back in the 2000s, right? This, yeah. this is the dumbest thing you've ever come across. What are you trying to do mental performance coaching? All, all three of those guys have asked me if I could hire them now. Wow. You know, so for me, that was like, I'm going to prove people wrong. But at the same token, I just was always, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> it's like prove yourself wrong, prove yourself right. I never even really... I never really even thought about it because I was just so locked into doing the work every day. You know, it's like Stephen King, the great author of all the horror movies and horror horror books, right? In his book on writing, which is a great book, they ask him about his mindset to writing. He goes, I write 5,000 words every day, whether I feel like it or not. He goes, the amateur waits till they feel like writing. The professional just writes. And, and, and I think like, that's, 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 I think, where we all want to get to is I just go. I just do the work. My system, mm-hmm. my system dictates that I wake up, weigh in, put my clothes on. I laid out the night before, walk into the home gym, grab a water on the way, and I start moving with my soft tissue routine. Like That's what my system says I do. There's no thought process. There's no choice. There's no deviation. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know, well, that might change here because we have our first child coming up in March, but that's, that's, that's like the system that we want to have is that you're mm-hmm. so committed to the system and you've thought the system through and that you implement the system. So you're not having to say, what's next? You know that, you know that answer. Very cool. Uh, Brian, as we close down here, we whip through those 10 pillars and you have a book on it, but what I want to do here is I'm going to go through them quick. I want you just to give one sentence and then we'll, we'll close down by going through that. So the first one, elite mindset, one sentence on it. Oh man, you're going to, uh, elite mindset, one sentence on it. Don't count the days, make the days count. Cool. Motivation and commitment is number two. Motivation comes after movement begins and every day recommit to your commitments. Number three, focus and awareness. One fill in the blank, pitch, shot, play, day at a time. Number four, self control and discipline. You got to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance and make that bed when you wake up every day. Fifth pillar of uh, mental uh, capacity here is per process over outcome. Probably my favorite one. Go ahead. Yeah, control what you can control. And when you come to a staircase, hit every single step on the way up because you can't skip a step in the process and expect to make it to the top. Number six, mental imagery and meditation. Everything happens twice, first in your mind, then in reality. Number seven, routines and habits of excellence. Secrets of success are hidden in the routines of your daily lives. If you want to be consistent over time, you have to describe everything you do as a routine and a set of habits. Number eight, time management and organization. The bigger your goals, the tighter your time blocks need to be. We're all given the same amount of time. Only the successful people will tell you that they, that they agree with that. Number nine, leadership. Influence and impact that you have with others based off of trust and your ability to serve. Number 10, the right culture. A set of beliefs that drive behaviors. We call those beliefs the MVP process, mission, vision, principles. And you're either going to be driven by principle, a set of values, or you're going to be driven by preference, a set of feelings. And feelings are too, too come and go, non-controllable. So choose principle over preference. 
Dude, this was awesome, Brian. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. I love your content. I love your stuff. I want to uh, bring my audience to you. Some things you're in the works on, where can I point them? Go ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. I think the best thing is send them to briancane.com, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com. And they can get into, I have a three-day free course for coaches and a three-day free course for athletes. You'll see those on my free courses link. If you're a coach, join my insiders list at briancane.com slash certification. Again, you'll see the link at the webpage. That's going to save you $200 off when we open up the coaches certification, which will be here. Uh, We open it up in November and in May. So let's get you into that November group. If you're an athlete, check out the athletes course at briancane.com. But the next step for everybody is going to be get into my mental performance daily podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever I do three. Thank you, DJ. I appreciate it, man. I do three minutes a day. Mental performance daily, three minutes to get your mind right. Do it when you're driving in the car, do it when you're having breakfast and three minutes a day. If you're with me there, you'll get everything I got. I pull no punches. I hold back no content. There is no secrets here. I give you everything I possibly can every day because I realize one thing, none of us are making it out of here alive. So give as much away as you can. Awesome. I can stand, I can stand for that. That podcast is awesome. I think too, we talk about EDDs, these everyday uh, details, everyday drills, everything that we can do on a daily basis. That's three, three minutes. Start your day off the right way, man. I think that's a great way to go about it. Thank you for taking the time, Brian. I really appreciate it. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you share it on your Instagram. And I would love to hear, I'm sure Brian would love to hear, what was your takeaway? What did you like from the show? What are you going to start implementing in your life today? Uh, and we'll see you guys next Tuesday for another episode on the MyFit Podcast. Take care. 